What's up, what's up, y'all? And thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk About It, where we're talking about biblical principles and living them out in everyday life. I'm your host, Lenita Harris. Let's get into it. All right, guys. So today we're going to talk about what would Jesus do? This is a question that has been asked a lot in our current social climate um, by a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians are confused. A lot of Christians are you know, are indifferent. <laughs> a lot of Christians are um, silent. They, I mean, for whatever their reasons are, and so they're they they're really confused. They, and they don't know what Jesus would do and they would like to do what Jesus would do, but they just don't know. They're unsure of what he would do. And um, so I don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but uh, at the time that I'm recording this, what has just happened in our nation is the murder of George Floyd. And there's a lot of social unrest centered around it. Um, and it's not solely related to George Floyd. It's not solely related to his murder. Um, it's 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 related to all of the other murders, his murder as well as all of the other murders that have come before him, whether their names have been known or unknown, and and it's this entire movement and thing. Uh, 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 that's happening has thrown a lot of Christians off. I mean, a lot of them off. And um, there have been protests and, 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 and there and riots and all kinds of things. And please understand, I'm not here to defend any, any side of any of this um, or to downplay or, or, or to, um, to judge or to come against anything that has been done. Uh, I, I'm, I'm only sharing what's what's happening and uh, and from that I mean a, a lot of people <laughs> I mean Christians don't really know what to do and specifically the hashtag Black Lives Matter has thrown so many people so many Christians off and their response to that hashtag is Hashtag all lives matter. And <laughs> I'm not here to debate one or the other. That's for you to make up, to figure out and, and, and settle within yourself. Um, so I'm not going to be that person that's going to help you do that today. The The only thing that, my, that, that my, I desire to do today is to give to you the message that the Holy Spirit has given to me about God's position by the way of Jesus so through Jesus on social injustice and with that being said let's just go ahead and pray father thank you so much for waking us up this morning uh to to and, and to be able to hear your your word your good news thank you so much for giving us one more day uh to 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 get it right to get it wrong to mess up whatever the case is thank you for giving us one more day of, of living on this earth regardless of how bittersweet it might seem or regardless of how you know how our outlook is for the day thank you father for giving it to us and um Holy Spirit, I yield myself completely to you now and ask that you speak through me. I don't want to I don't want to misspeak and I don't want to say anything that you didn't give me to say. So I, I give you control of my tongue right now and um, and ask that you speak and flow through me in Jesus name. I pray that those who have an ear to hear what you would have to say today, hear it, take heed to it and run with it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, guys, so I want to talk about, uh, we're going to come from uh, three passages of Scripture today. Um, and I, I, I want to talk about Jesus in these parables, okay? Because every time Jesus told a parable, if you look at the parable, 
it'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it could kind of be like, what are you talking about? But let me, but every single time Jesus told a parable, the, if you were really, for those that were really listening to the parable and had an ear to hear the parable, it would, it, it, it would have incited them to dig very deeply within themselves and to look and examine themselves, the deep parts of themselves and their hearts and why they operate the way they operate it. So Jesus told a parable to challenge people um, in whatever way that he wanted them to be challenged. But he, he, that was the goal of the parable to get people to look at themselves honestly and truthfully. And so with that, um, we're going to go to three places today, but the first place that we're going to go to in scripture is John chapter four. And this is the story of the woman at the well, and which is a, fam a very familiar passage of scripture. And, uh, but here with the, uh, with the woman at the well, um, let me just give you the backdrop before we get to reading. I don't know if we're going to read the full passage, but, uh, we'll see, I guess when we start reading, but so here's the backdrop. Verse nine is the backdrop. What that says, um, how how is it that you, being a Jew, asks a drink of me? With and I'm a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So here's the backdrop. There were the Jews and there was there were the Samaritans, and they did not fool with each other. And so, which is very very interesting that they're even classified as quote-unquote Jews and quote-unquote Samaritans because in the grand scheme of things all of them actually came from one man who was Jacob and that was before Jacob's name was turned was changed to Israel you know he had 12 there were 12 tribes of Israel because and that came from 12 sons of Jacob right and so uh, what ended up happening, there was a strong rift between the quote unquote Jews and the Samaritans, because at some point um, there was a sector of the Jews that ended up intermingling with people from other cultures and uh, marrying and different things of that nature. And their hearts were led astray and they began to worship um, idols, false gods. Right. And so there was other things that happened for sure, but that's just a part of it. And uh, it all led to a big rift. I mean, strong. And, th and there were times when the Jews attacked the Samaritans and the Samaritans attacked the Jews. They were attacking each other's temples and throwing stuff and starting. I mean, there's just a lot of things that were going on that you can read about in uh, the Old Testament. But um, it all culminated to the point to where. They just didn't fool with each other. They ain't like each other and they ain't fool with each other. So much so to the point to where Samaria, this place, the Samaritans controlled a, a valley uh, that or a passageway between Judea and Galilee. OK, and the Jews, if they needed to get from Judea to Galilee, they didn't even go through Samaria, uh, Samaria. They literally went around the territory of Samaria they took the long way around to get to uh to basically to keep from having to go through and even deal with the Samaritans okay so it's crazy right um so that's where we're gonna pick up that's the backdrop so let's pick up there in chapter 4 John chapter 4 verse 3 is where we're gonna start he uh he left Judea he being Jesus left Judea and departed again unto into Galilee and he must needs go through Samaria. I'm reading from the King James Version today. So I'll, I'll actually try to change words as I go uh, to make it more more readable. Um, but uh, or make it make, make it make more sense. But um, so basically saying that Jesus was leaving Judea to go to Galilee. But he felt like he needed to go through Samaria. So verse five. Then he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied with his journey, sat there on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into, unto the city to buy meat. Verse 9. Then said the woman of Samaria to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask for a drink from me, 
which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And then Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of me <laughs> and I would have given you living water. Then the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. From where then have you living water? Basically, how are you going to get some living water? Because you ain't even got nothing to pick up some water with, right? Verse 12. Are you, then she says to him, are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Then Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not. Honey, I don't want to be thirsty no more. And, and so that I don't have to keep coming here to draw. And then Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Verse 17. Then the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have said, well, you have no husband for you have had five husbands and he whom you are with now is not your husband in that you said truthfully. Verse 19, the woman said unto him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Then Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. For you worship something that you don't know. But we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth verse 25 then the woman said to him I know that the Messiah cometh which is called Christ when he is come he will tell us all things see this is something that's very interesting to me this woman is of Samaria right and 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 their history is that they have they 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 worship you know God but they also worship other idols and different things of that nature but the one thing that this woman says is that listen I know the Messiah is coming <laughs> and when he comes he is going to tell us all things and then verse 26 Jesus said to her I that speak to you am he And that's where we're going to stop because this is what what I want to say. I want to I want to draw an interesting point from this from uh, at least one interesting point from this passage of scripture. This woman had no idea who she was talking to. Yet here she was having an entire conversation to Jesus with Jesus. An entire back and forth conversation with Jesus yet still did not know him. Or who he was now I want to flip that and ask the question how often how long have we been going to church hearing about Jesus reading the Bible reading the red words that Jesus said yet here we are in this current climate asking what would Jesus do how do we not know what he would do if we know him if we really know who Jesus is why is that even a question that we need to ask in this time when people are being brutally murdered why is it a question let's go to the next parable it's going to be in Luke chapter well that's well let's go to a parable because that wasn't really a parable let's go to a parable Luke chapter 10 verse 30 through 37 
And in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37, this is the parable, another familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's just go ahead and start reading. We're going to start reading at We're going to start reading at verse 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Left him half dead now. Verse 31. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, take care of him. And whatsoever you spend more than this, when I come again, I will repay you. Then Jesus says to them, which now of these three do you think was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the person that originally asked the question in verse 37 says, well, he that showed mercy on him. So then Jesus said, Go and do that likewise. Now, I started at verse 30 to give you the, the parable. Now, let's go back to what's actually happened before that. Jesus was speaking privately to some disciples of his that were following him. And he was telling them some things. And while he was talking, verse 25 says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? See, right before that, um, Jesus was telling people that uh, that that there were certain things that were hidden from the knowledge of the wise and the prudent. That's literally what it says in verse 21. I, Jesus is saying, I thank you, Fa O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hid, hidden thing, these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babies. And so, uh, so whatever it is that Jesus is talking about, he's talking about how certain things have been, had been hidden from the wise and the prudent and were given to, to babies and, uh, that God saw that as good. And so this lawyer decided to stand up and tempt him and say, well, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? How read you, baby? How readest thou? How do you read it? And so then the man said, well, thou shalt, the law says in verse 27, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all, your, all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And in verse 28, Jesus said to him, well, you've answered right. Do this and you shall live. But see, that answer from Jesus wasn't good enough. So the lawyer continued, but he willing to justify himself said to Jesus and who is my neighbor now here is the thing that we and so then Jesus went into the parable of the good Samaritan so this is what we want what I want to unpack here see this lawyer knew what he was doing see he wanted eternal life he wanted the things that Jesus talked about so he asked what should I do to inherit eternal life? Even though he already knew what the law said at that time to do. Because he answered, well, you should love the Lord your God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy might, and thy strength, and thy mind. And you love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus said, okay, we'll do that. You answered correctly. So you know what to do. Do it. But then the lawyer was like, mm, well, who's really my neighbor here? Because see, and so see, the, the thing is here that I want you to see is the fact that he really 
asked that question meant that in his mind, somewhere within him, he already had a sector of people that he wanted to exclude from his love and from having to love. And he, what he really wanted was for Jesus to, to, to co-sign on his exclusion. Because for whatever reason, he had decided they weren't his neighbor. So he didn't have to really love them. So that's really, I want you to really see the intent and the motivation behind that question. Because it says he, verse 29, he willing to justify himself. <laughs> so he already had in his mind who he did not want to love as his neighbor, who he did not want to consider as his neighbor. And so then Jesus hit him with a parable and then asked him the question, well, which one, which of these three people would you say? saw this man as a neighbor so then he's like well the one that showed mercy on him he said exactly so you go and do the same you go and live your life the same way as this samaritan man and you'll you'll inherit eternal life <laughs> and now let's let's go a little bit deeper and let's pull out some more things here so the man is left for half dead. He got robbed. He got beat. And he got left half dead in the street. He land. I want you to, I want you to visualize this. There's a person laying half dead on the side of the road. And by chance, a certain priest came his way. Now the priest... You would think that the priest of all people, because the priest's job is to literally listen to the sins of everyone and then go behind the veil and make a sacrifice to atone for people's sins. Basically saying, hey, father, these are all the sins that the people have done. These are the wrongs that they've committed. But please forgive them. That's the priest's job. So you would think that of all the people. The priest at that time was the highest position in that particular, like, well, well, it wasn't a quote unquote Christian spirit, but it was the highest position in the quote unquote church. So you would think that that person would have compassion. Yet he saw him. He looked at this man half dead, wounded and beat up on the side of the road and kept going and then a Levite now the Levite now see the priest came from Levites so the Levites as we like to say in some circles of the church were in charge of the praise and worship or whatever you know which may or may not be true all we know from that particular claim is that the Levites were sent out at, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the in the front of an army one time to fight a battle at least one time that we know of and they sang praises but here's the thing the thing is the Levitical priesthood the Levitical priesthood is where the laws of the land even came from. Go back and read Leviticus. There's going to tell you about the laws, right? And so the Levitical priesthood here, you would think that surely they have compassion because they're the holy ones. They are the ones that are holy. They have to live holy lives. Yet, the Levite came, looked at him, saw him. And kept on going. Passed by on the other side. <laughs> kept on going. And then there was a Samaritan. That came. And saw him. And decided that he would stop what he was doing. He would stop the normal mundane tasks in his life. And make room. He decided that he would take on a battle. That wasn't even his to fight in the first place. He doesn't know what happened. He didn't have to know what happened. All he saw was the devastation. And that was enough for him to spring into action. And take care of somebody. And then he went further than that. Not further than binding up his wounds and taking care of them. He took him to a, a hotel pretty much. An inn. Stayed with him. And then left money at the front desk. 
and said, this should cover everything that's needed. Everything that this person needs. Who I don't even know. But even if it doesn't, get whatever this person needs and charge it to my account. I'll be back to pay the balance. I want to ask you something. How many times have you seen your neighbor in trouble and you did nothing but you could have done something you could have at least stopped to check on them but you didn't we're going to go <laughs> and that's a question that a lot of people are asking what can I do what can I do there's a lot of things going around talking about your black friends are tired. Check on your black friends. Your black people are not okay. What can I do? What am I supposed to do? Stop. Ask. Stay. If you see something that looks like it's going wrong, ask. Is everything okay here? Y'all all right? And then stay so that whoever feels helpless is not alone. That's something that you can do. Let's go to the third scripture. Now, this is not a parable either. This actually happened in real life. <laughs> and so this is going to be Mark chapter 11 verses 15 through 18. And this is talking about when Jesus flipped them tables over, okay? When Jesus flipped over these tables. Mark chapter 10, I mean chapter 11, verse 15. And it says, And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught saying, is it not written that my house shall be called the house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves. And so, <laughs> verse 18 is very interesting to me. And the scribes and chief priests heard this and sought how they might destroy Jesus, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. If you go back and read this account in Matthew, you'll see. Um, I, I don't know where it is. I can't remember the chapter that it's in in Matthew, but there's a, it, it tells the same story. And right there after it says Jesus wouldn't suffer, uh, he wouldn't suffer that any man carry any vessel through the temple. What ended up happening was blind people came in and he and he they began to see lame people came in. They began to walk and he taught there. He helped people there. And then when the scribes and chief priests heard of all the good things that he were, he was doing. And the doctrine that he was preaching. That's when they sought. How they might destroy him. Because they feared him. They didn't like the good things that he was doing. So. So. So we see here. Three different accounts. Well we see two accounts. And I'm going to tell you about the other one. Of what Jesus did. So let me just go ahead and tell you about the other one. Um, there's another story. That talks about the adultering the adulterous woman. She was having an affair with a man. But here's the thing. If you go to I want you to Google it uh, so that you can read it on your own. Uh, she was having an affair with a man. Um, and <laughs> but she was being set up by a group of men. Because they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to see what he'd say concerning the law because the law says that the woman needed to be stoned to death and so they set a trap for this woman went in 
caught the woman in the act. Now caught her in the act and took her. They left the man as if she was just having sex by herself. She was just committing adultery by herself. That's, that's it. They did not touch the man, left the man alone, got the woman, brought the woman before Jesus, and then told that woman's business, put that business out, put that woman's business out in the street, and then said, what should be done about this? Because the law says they came ready to stone her. They had stones in their hands. And this is the thing. This is the only time in scripture that I read that I know of when a situation was brought to Jesus's attention he was silent but understand his silence was not passive he still acted and he stooped down and began to write things in the sand I wonder what he was writing whatever it was <laughs> It was enough when he said, he that is without sin cast the first stone for people to drop their stones one by one and walk off. And then he looked at the woman. He said, woman, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. And he said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. So here we have three situations, two involving women and one involving the temple of the Lord where Jesus was active in doing something. The first account, he had a conversation with this woman. He challenged this woman and he said that he, he told this woman that he was the Messiah. And he didn't say anything about how wrong she was for having had five husbands and for having a, living with a man now that ain't a husband. He didn't say anything about that, nothing. He just told her, I'm the Messiah. And if you knew who it was you were talking to, You'd ask me for a drink and I'd give you a drink of water that you and you'd never thirst again. So I want to pause here to go go back a couple years. There was a Me Too movement and that I'm sure you all are familiar with the Me Too movement. It was when uh, women gained a voice uh, that had been the women that were in the shadows had been horribly mistreated and assaulted and um one by one women gained the courage to speak out and even some men that had been assaulted but here but the the problem was that there were men and men and people in power that were mistreating people who weren't and the other men and people that were in power were protecting these assailants or whatever these people that were in power so it was people in power protecting people in power and continuing the division between those that have power and those that don't, perpetuating it. And so many people came through that awful system, having a dream or being hopeful of something, of attaining or achieving something, and they were met with injustice, if you will. But the Me Too movement brought national attention to it. And it gained a lot of traction. And it, it, it got a lot of progress. And what I saw personally was that the momentum that it gained, it gained so much more momentum when men came out and stood in solidarity with the women maybe they didn't have stories of their own but they said they stood up and publicly said this ain't this ain't right some of them put their money where their mouth was or whatever the case is some of them did a lot of other things but the general sense they stood in solidarity with these women and said this ain't right and things need to change and we're not gonna stop until they do and things changed because the men reached across the aisle to help the women the division that was there was broken because pe enough people reached across the aisle to achieve unity and together 
a mighty impact was made. Now we just read and looked at it in the scripture and you see chief priests and scribes colluding against Jesus. <laughs> we see um, people that, you know, this disciple that was following him that, I mean, he, he liked a lot of what he was saying, but what he really, but he, you know, he just wanted Jesus to be okay with excluding a few people. And that's not how Jesus got down. But there was so much division and complacency. And a lot of people that, that were greedy, they had their eyes on financial gain. That's what That was the problem and the reason why Jesus flipped over the tables. Because they turned the temple of the Lord into a marketplace. Folks, was, I mean, in other places, they were in there gambling. I mean, seriously, it was... It was awful. And the thing is, my question is, where were the priests and the leaders of this place? Where were they? Why did they not say something? Why did they not? Why did it take Jesus to come up in there and do something? They knew the law. They already had the words. They already knew what they were supposed to be doing. Here's the point. It took Jesus because the people who knew what they were supposed to be doing didn't want to do it. So they didn't do it. The interesting thing is, I don't see anywhere in my Bible that the government at that time, the Roman government, had a problem with Jesus. So to my knowledge, they didn't. It was the quote-unquote church that had a problem with Jesus because Jesus challenged the very way they were built. He challenged the system that they built. He challenged their complacency. He challenged the division that they had fostered and continued to perpetuate. He challenged that. And he was reaching across the aisles, doing things that had never been done. And they did not like it. So they wanted him gone. It wasn't the Roman government that wanted him gone. It was the quote-unquote church. <laughs> they wanted him gone because they wanted to keep the division and complacency and the greed from the wealth. And while their neighbors went hungry, mistreated, and suffered injustices of all kind. Here's what I want you to see. The people who knew the law hated Jesus' love and compassion. And the way that he operated so much that they rathered let a murderer back on the loose to maybe kill people at will than to have Jesus' love and gospel of social justice and equality on the loose. Because they feared that if enough people listened to Jesus and followed his example by being examples, then their entire system would fall and be forced to change. See, this gospel that we preach, the gospel that we have access to when we come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ is supposed to be good news. That's what it's marketed as, right? Good news. But if this good news doesn't apply to all cultures and all people from every walk of life, whether they follow God or not. If, if, they, if all people can't receive justice on some level, just because some of us who have the good news have made a judicial decision that they're not deserving of it, then this gospel that we have is in fact not good news to or for those that are excluded. And if the gospel ain't good news for everybody, then what's the point of it all? So what would Jesus do? Oh, he'd fight. 
what he would not do is sit on the sidelines because he never ever sat on the sidelines he fought for the underdog always 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 he used his reputation he used his words he used his actions he fought always for the underdog that was his ministry see I've lived not a not a super long time compared to uh, compared to others but I've lived long enough to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go from something that was very strict and about judgment and about you need to get yourself together because it's heaven or hell you only got one place to go which one you going to move from that into this very soft oh Jesus loves everyone oh he's just so loving and kind and he's here to hug you and he's here to you know help you you know he just wants to coddle you <laughs> and I fear that the droves of people who have been reached and who have come in under that I don't want to I don't want to call it a misrepresentation but that overly represented aspect of his love I fear that those people do not know the rest of his love they only know one aspect of his love and so because they only know one aspect of his love when it's time for them to spring into action to help the underdog or to help their neighbor they have no clue what to do and they want to stay silent and sit back and do nothing oh I'll pray you gonna pray great what else you gonna do what, what else are gonna be what else are your actions gonna be I fear that the overrepresentation of that one aspect of his love has caused us to be soft and that's why some of us don't know what Jesus would do even though the words are written in front of us See, Jesus always fought for the underdog. He fought for the blind, the lame, the deaf, the dumb, the homeless, the fatherless, the motherless, the lost, which were the Gentiles. Women. He fought for women because women were the underdog in Jewish culture and law and in secular law. If you don't believe me, go back to Leviticus and read these laws that were set up that talked about how to treat women. Like seriously, women were considered property in some aspects and in some regards like I mean it was I was because I was reading stuff and was like dang that's how they felt <laughs> like legit so Jesus fought for women he fought for the underdog on up to the day that he fought for the overall human race by sacrificing his very life for his neighbor Jesus before he got before he gave up the ghost there was a thief on the cross right beside him had never seen him maybe never met him but he looked over and said will you remember me and Jesus said I will I wonder how many times a Jew or a person that was supposed to be loving passed by him I wonder how many times he was overlooked before Jesus said I got you I'll remember you and then he gave up the ghost he said father into your hands I commit my spirit and then he fought the battle for the human race against death the grave and the devil in hell and he won that battle for us he got the keys to our freedom to make available to us whether we'd ever choose to be free or not he always fought for the underdog and he was never passive ever he literally put his life on the line 
How did he win the overall battle? Because of his love. Love always wins. But understand, love is never, ever passive. Love is always in action. Jesus lived a life of sacrifice and fighting for what was right as defined by the Father, not the intellect of man. So I'm going to ask you, which one are you? Are you a Pharisee? Are you a Sadducee? See, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they knew the law or they knew the Bible, if you will. But they lived complacent, comfortable, non-challenging, divisive lives. So much so that they would persecute the very Messiah because he challenged them to be different. Are you a Gentile? Somebody that just don't even know. You just don't know nothing about Jesus or you're just so centered on self. Because as a Gentile, they had no concept of God. So everything that they did was to gratify and glorify self. So are you a Gentile? Or are you the ambassador of Jesus Christ, representing him and actively doing what he would do? Now understand, I want, I'm asking you this. And so if you say, well, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not the person that keeps up division. I'm a person. I love all people. I love people. I, I love my black people. I love people of all cultures. They come into my house like I, my kids play with them. I, I have friends that are. I'm not talking about congregating with people that don't look like you. Sure, you can do that. People can congregate with folks that don't look like them and not even enjoy it. They can congregate all day and want to be gone. It doesn't matter if you treat someone that's not like you as a part of your family. Well, I mean, it does matter on a, you know, it does matter to that person. But what I'm saying is I want to ask you, who do you vote for? See, like the, the like literally, politically, who do you vote for? Because though you may though you may love your neighbor as your own, when you are in the privacy of the anonymous voting ballot and nobody sees you or knows your name? Who do you pledge your support to? Do you use your voice to elect people to power who have the same heart as you, who loves their neighbor as they love themselves? Will they care for your neighbor like you care for your neighbor? Or do you anonymously elect people to power who will mostly protect you. See, the reality, the reality is that we live in a democracy where the voice of the people matters. And until the people, until you elect people who are for all people in every sector of government and, and the judicial system, we won't see the change that we desperately need. So that means that you don't just show up and vote for the president. No, it means that voting first for your city mayor and your city council, because they're the ones that write the laws for the local law enforcement and school districts. They control that. Then for then you show up to vote for the judges that operate in the courts that you see people being treated unfairly in. And then after you've shown up to vote for them, then you vote for your Senate and the House of Representatives because they together make up Congress and they write the laws for the land on how the overall land is governed. And they decide on tax laws and currencies and all kinds of things. So together that they are the voices that represent the states they come from. And then after you voted for them, then you vote for your governor because your governor is the parent of the entire state. They are essentially smaller scale presidents and they answer solely to the president and then you show up to vote for the president of the United States. See, this position of president of the United States is at the very top. But even though it's at the very top, it's literally all the other people in power on the various levels all the way to the bottom leading up to that position that gives that position its power. They are the body of the head. 
See, change doesn't start at the top and trickle its way down. No, that's not how change works. Think about you yourself in your relationship with God. Are you the same person that you were? I would hope that you'd say you're not. And how did you get to that place? Did God start on the outside with you and then work his way in? No, he started on the inside with you and he changed your thoughts and he changed your the way that you operated and he challenged you to think differently and to be different internally and then there was an outward change in your actions and then people noticed man you different <laughs> see until this Hmm. change happens if you want to see a change then start with you change you and only the Holy Ghost can change you from the inside out change you and then change the people you vote for and then those people will change the people that they vote for and then one day maybe we'll look up and just see the change that the change that started in us has made its way all the way up to the top and along the way justice was changed and served fairly to all see until that changes until that happens we will never be the country where all men are created and valued equally what would Jesus do he'd fight always actively for the underdog he would not protect himself he gave his life to protect others so now that you know what Jesus would do the only other question to answer is what are you gonna do Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope it's helped someone along the way and challenged some people to think differently and to be the change that they want to see. Guys, we have to band together and we have to protect each other. We have to protect our neighbors and we have to stop being divided. We have to stop being divided by stances. And we have to come together with hearts 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 I can't encourage you enough to vote for people who have the same heart as you and really for people who have the heart of God and God is not now and has never been for or in support of injustice He's the judge. I love you so much. And I'll see you next time.